A passage this morning is from Psalm 25. Uh, You'll find the words to that uh, passage in your bulletins, uh, or you can find it obviously in your Bible or in a device that has a Bible. So Psalm 25, as we come, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we pray that you would show us your way and teach us these paths upon which we're to walk. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How are we doing on sound? Can you all hear? You all right? Okay. There you go. Thank you for that. I can hear you too. Psalm 25. This is the word of the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you await all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore... He leads the, therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it's great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Hang on, I forgot something. those of us who are preaching this summer too I'll take up uh, psalms as we say psalms for the summer uh, we don't have any particular assigned psalms to any of us but we're kind of uh, finding those that I suppose that we're reading presently or perhaps that have been very influential uh, for us and I don't want to take a lot of time as my Bible blows away here um, and uh, talk much about the psalms but Anytime if you hear a preacher preach on the Psalms, there's always something we have to say about the Psalms because the Psalter is unique uh, in the Scripture. I, I put out a little uh, word this, this week and I quoted uh, uh, the 4th century uh, defender of the Trinity, if you know your church history, Athanasius. And he put it like this. 
He said, most scriptures speak to us. The Psalms speak for us. Now, obviously, the Psalms speak to us, but, 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 but the unique here are prayers and praises and songs to give us language, to give us words to express our hearts to God. In fact, much of what's, re- what's spoken to us is to reveal our hearts to ourselves and then give us words to express these thoughts to God. Gerhardus Voss, who arguably has the best first name for a theologian, uh, Gerhardus Voss, early 20th century uh, theologian, put it like this. Listen, this is, he says, In the Psalms, the language of the Bible meets the thoughts of our hearts. Right? So he said, in the Psalms, the language of the, in the Bible uh, uh, meets the thoughts of our hearts. And he says, before these, that is the thoughts of our hearts, can even clothe themselves with a language. In other words, we may be going through some difficulty and we don't even know how to name it. We don't even know how to, how to say it before God. Or maybe something wonderful has happened and we don't even know how to, how to praise well. And Voss's point is this, and it's, it's a right one. And that is that even before we know what these thoughts of our hearts are, as we read the Psalms, we say, that's it. That's exactly what I need to say. That that exactly represents what's in my heart. He says, the language of the Bible meets the thoughts of our hearts. Before these thoughts can even clothe themselves in language. And we recognize that we could not have expressed them better than the Spirit has expressed them there for us. And then we go, yes, of course, that's it. That's what we need to be reading the Psalms. Could I just say to you that whatever you're reading in your Bible reading daily or weekly, however you have that lined out, that often, maybe I would even say every day, read a portion at least of a Psalm so you learn how to express your heart to God. Have you had that experience? Uh, I, my first experience really like that was when I was 15 years old and I was reading a Gideon Bible in a hotel room in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Now you may want to know how I got there and all of that and I'm not going to tell you. But I just was. And, and I had just moved, my family had just moved to Florida from a small town in Pennsylvania to South Florida. It was traumatic for me and I I began reading through the Bible and, and found, it found me, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I couldn't have exegeted that verse to save my life at that moment in time. But I Psalm 25. It's one that for me, as you'll see in a minute, and that you probably know already what I'm going to go to, but, but, but for me it's just meant uh, much to me and, and, and fed my soul and enabled me to speak my heart to God. It, it's a prayer. Uh, uh, yet intermingled with a prayer, good lesson for us as well, that there's uh, meditations upon who God is. He begins by making petitions, but then he stops, David does, and he begins to meditate upon who God is. And then he, he, he another petition, and then he stops to meditate upon who God is, and then he ends with his final petitions. Now sometimes in the Psalms, there's inscriptions in the very beginning, lines like, for the choir director. 
or, or perhaps there'll be a, a bit about the psalmist's life. We don't have anything like that here, so we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but like most psalms, he's in trouble. And, and, and he's in trouble because there are enemies all around him. Now he had enemies of nations because he was the king of the Philistines, the Amal- Amalekites, and so forth. He also had personal enemies, uh, Saul for a while, the previous king, and even some family members later on in his life. But we don't know to which he ascribes this particular psalm. But 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 we see it. Uh, for instance, um, uh, these enemies he talks about in verse verse two. Let not my enemies exalt uh, over over me. We we can see this in verse nineteen. He says, consider. How many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. So you, can, you get the sense of, of the anguish of David's soul. In verse 3, he, he talks about them being wantonly treacherous, that is deceitful, the worst kind of enemy. A kind you can't predict because they deceive so much. And, uh, and, and so there is David with these, these physical enemies. Uh, you probably don't have many people that you look at or nations that you look at and say, that's my enemy uh, as David could. But, but we know the enemy. We know the spiritual enemy that, that comes against us. And, and we know all of these things are, are true about that enemy as well. Paul lays this out in Ephesians 6 as he speaks about the, the, the deceitful schemes of, 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 of Satan, of the evil one, and, and, and all of that. Um, so we know that. And we see some real spiritual vulnerability in, in David as well. He feels he's afraid of, of, of this shame that might come upon him uh, if his enemies defeat him. And, and you think, well, that, he'd just be embarrassed if he lost to his enemies. But, but it's more than that. There's a spiritual side to this as well. Not just a personal side, but a spiritual side. Oh, what David doesn't want to happen is for God's glory in any way to be diminished by these enemies. And so what he's saying is, God, I'm a follower. I believe in you. I trust in you. I'm a covenant person. I belong to you. If my enemies defeat me, what that means is that you're unable to protect me. And if you're unable, to, if I'm put to shame, that diminishes, besmirches your glory. And I don't want that. So he pleads with God that he would not be put to shame. We, we see this loneliness that he has in verse 16. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. And you know what happens in times of trouble. Whether you are alone or you're not alone, you feel alone. Because it doesn't seem like anybody can resonate with you. Anybody can really understand. Or you may pour your heart out to your friends and all of that. And they may come around you. But, but, but they know and you know that I, I'm still feeling Lonely. You can only imagine how lonely the king must have felt. Who does the king talk to? So here he was, lonely with these enemies. How could he admit his own vulnerability? There was an inward turmoil. Verse 17, he says, he says, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. This isn't just something, you can just feel the pit, can't you? In his stomach all the time. You know that pit. And, and he can feel it. And he says, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of out of this distress consider my affliction verse 18 and my trouble and forgive all my sins you you can even see at this point in time David's harassed even by his previous sins it's in verse uh, 7 he says remember not the sins of my youth I mean he's going all the way back in his life during this time of trouble you know that don't you you've experienced that haven't you you might say to David David remember you you asked God to forgive you he forgave you and he goes I know I know I know I know but 
right now. And no doubt he's seeing his sins even in the midst of all the trouble that he's in. And he's thinking, is this my fault? I know they're wantonly treacherous. I know they're deceitful. I know they hate me. I know they're violent. I know I'm your man, God. But still, maybe I've been angry with them in ways that I should. Maybe I haven't followed you in the ways that I should. Maybe I haven't feared you as I ought. Maybe I've trusted you. And so there he is in the midst of all that, his own, his own sins. And so he's confused. But the good thing about his confusion is that it sends him, it sends him to God to pray. And notice in verse 1, he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Could I urge you this week to begin your prayers like that? I don't know how you start your prayers. Sometimes we just start in, this is what I need, God. But, but take a moment and just think, see it in your mind's eye. Lifting up your soul to God. It doesn't mean that God is up. He's here. But, but you get the point. To you I lift up my soul, he says, to God. And he lays out uh, his petitions. There are many of them. You, know, you can see the primary petition in verse 4. What David wants at this particular time is that God would teach him, instruct him, show him how he's to live. Notice how he puts it. He said, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you're the God of my salvation. For for you I wait uh, all the day long. He wants God to teach him. He prays that God would not put him to shame for the reasons I mentioned a moment ago. He prays that God would forgive him. So that his conscience would be clear. So his heart would be free. So he could really entreat upon God for help. He prays the, the wonderful practical prayer of verse 13. He says, pluck my feet out of the net. You know, this is what's happening, God. I've been entrapped. So pluck my feet out of the net. And then he says, turn to me and be gracious to me. It doesn't base his request upon God, um, to God on the basis of his own anything. He just bases it on, on God. And so my question this morning is what confidence did David have that God would actually hear and respond to his prayers? What confidence did David have that God would actually hear and respond uh, to his prayer? Have you ever wondered that in your own life? I bet you have. I mean, have you ever thought, why should I pray? Whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. Or why should I pray? Because I'm just me and God is God. And why should I give him any advice on this? Why should I even bother but David bothered. I mean, he really bothered. You, you get the sense this is coming from somewhere deep within him. And, 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 and as he pours out his heart, he's pouring out our hearts too. That's the great, that's the great thing. You see, in the Psalms, another quote by my friend, Peter Hardis Voss, he says, the Psalms combine the supernatural reception of truth and the spiritual nearness to God. See, what happens as we read the Psalms in the context of our own experience, our own lives, the truth of God, because these Psalms are Bible, they're breathed out 
by God. They're coming from David, but they're breathed out by the Holy Spirit, according to the Apostle as he writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. All scriptures, God breathed. So this is coming from God. God saying, you can use these words. This is really true. But in the midst of that, there's a deep spiritual nearness that happens. It's expressed many places in the scripture, many places even in this psalm. But if I could just draw attention to verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He will make known to them His covenant. That's how near. Now let me ask you to stand and let's let's say.
He will make known to them his covenant. You see, David's confidence was in God. David's confidence was in this covenant. The way that God deals with his people. He knew it. Now, I won't go through the covenants. Chad did a marvelous job a couple of weeks ago walking us through the covenants. But, but perhaps this is what would be on David's mind. The covenant with Abraham. He knew that God had promised to Abraham a people of descendants. He knew that God had promised to bless these descendants of Abraham. That whoever would bless them, would, God would bless. That there'd be a great nation. That he would make Abraham's name great. And that all the families of the earth would be blessed through these people. One of Abraham's... See, David knew he was in that. So knowing he was in that gave him confidence to pray. He knew what God had said to Moses on various occasions, uh, particularly right before the law was given at Mount Sinai. And God said to Moses, if you keep this covenant, then you'll be my treasured possession. You'll be a nation of priests. You'll be a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. David knew that he was in that. Uh, David would know that God had made to him this promise that there would be one from David's line to sit on this throne and that God's this kingdom would know no end. And so when, when David reflected upon this covenant, he said, just God will hear my prayers. He will help me. He will deliver me. He will redeem me and Israel. He, he, he knew that would be true. Because you see, in this covenant, the guarantee of the covenant is God Himself. This is the tablets, but it's God Himself. That's why David could appeal to your name's sake. God, this is your covenant. You've done this. And so I'm appealing to your covenant. And, and as I do, and I know that, then I'm confident that you'll hear my prayers and that you'll deliver me. You see, this is deep, this covenant, in the character of God. 
Do you remember the Hebrew word that Chad taught us a couple of weeks ago? You can only say it with a mask on because it, it really gives a lot of aerosols. I know I'm in trouble with somebody. Sorry, I just thought that was funny to say. It's the word chesed, right? I remember practicing my Hebrew in the cafeteria uh, in, 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 in seminary. I was afraid that if ever I were choking on my food, people would let me die because I think he's just practicing his Hebrew. Uh, comes really in there deep, you see. And it, it's translated in this passage, steadfast love. My favorite way to translate it is the way my mother liked it, which is the word loving kindness. But you see, God binds himself, not simply by way of contract, not simply by way of signature, but by way of love. And so behind and in this covenant, the ground of it, if you will, the guarantee of it, if you will, is love. That's easy to forget. Sometimes when we're dealing with God, when we're praying, we, we don't see God that way. We don't, we don't know Him as the one who, who delights to hear our prayers. Who delights to forgive repentant sinners. Who delights to instruct sinners in the way. If you ever meditate, you ever meditate on that expression sometimes. That God delights... To instruct sinners in the way. You'd think that wouldn't be it at all. You'd think he'd delight to instruct, you know, the, the, the best students. But he delights to instruct sinners, the worst students, if you will, um, in his way. He delights to lead us. God isn't playing, let's make a deal with us. Where he gives us three doors and, and two of them are, 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 are terrible. No, he delights to lead us. And so... So David knew that even in the midst of this trouble, even in, even though the enemies were against us, they were treacherous and all against him and treacherous and all that. That and even if his soul was plagued within him, he knew that God would hear him and respond. And the assurance of this is is the love of God. And 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 David would know because God was clear to the Israelites that he didn't love them because they were lovable. Deuteronomy chapter 7 essentially says that I've loved you because I've loved you. Deuteronomy chapter 9 says that it wasn't because of your righteousness, you're no more righteous than the rest of them. But because you're mine. And I've made you mine. And thus we think, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us unto adoption his sons his love you see he delights in saving us he delights to hear our prayers we mustn't forget that and then from our standpoint we can ask the question for whom is this covenant who gets to really know it and he says for those who fear the Lord and what does that what does that mean well, that means that did you really understand who God is and you really understand who you are and who you are in relationship to Him. So on the one hand, we see ourselves as creatures. He's the Creator. Thus we see Him as the all-sufficient One and we the ever and completely and wholly dependent ones. When you see that, then there's this fear of the Lord. We see ourselves even in His sight as sinners, don't we? We should. 
and he the Holy One. And that, you see, causes us to fear him and to turn to him, for he is our only our only hope. He's the sovereign ruler. And we're to yield, you see, to him. Uh, the one who fears is the one who is humble, right? Before before God. The, the one who takes refuge in him. Do you think about that word? David uses this here, I take refuge in you. The one who fears the one who takes refuge in the Lord. Um, Augustus, top lady, great hymn writer. If you don't know that, but you sing his hymns. Uh, one you probably sang, at least as a kid, the Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. He wrote that hymn, uh, the story goes. He was in Scotland, his home, and he was walking along the way, and, and a huge storm came up, a dangerous one. He felt afraid for his own life, and he ran into a little place where there was a rock, a cave, and there he was secure. And so that's when he wrote, Rock of Ages, Clever and Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Him. And basically, he was saying, out there I'm dead, in here I'm alive. And that's when we take refuge, the one who fears the Lord runs to him and says, out there I'm dead, in here I'm, 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 I'm alive. The one who fears the Lord is the one who waits upon him, waits to listen, waits for his counsel, studies deeply, doesn't get ahead, is patient and waits upon the Lord's timing. But this expression, the friendship of the Lord, that's the intimacy here. Now it's translated in other versions of the Bible. I just have the English Standard Version this morning. But uh, it's translated elsewhere as the secret counsel of God or the Lord confides in those who fear Him or, or, or the secrets of the Lord for those who fear Him. And you say, well, why all those variations? Well, because it's a difficult word to translate. But, but, but they all sort of summarize in what a friendship is like. Uh, one um, linguist said the original word means this. It's counsel taken by those in familiar conversation, right? So if you're really familiar with someone, they're your friend. And it's that kind of thing you would only share with a friend. Um, it's counsel revealed in the context of intimacy. I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. I remember, I don't remember when, but I remember the first time I happened upon this particular verse. And I melted before it. Really, I said. There can be intimacy with God by that through His covenant. Friendship with Him. Obviously not a pure friendship. But where He will speak to me. I'm not in mystical ways. I'm not waiting to hear His voice. I'm not like the lady that uh, J.I. Packer writes about in his little book, in his book, Knowing God. The woman who would wake up in the morning and not get out of bed until she had this special urging from God to get out of bed. Many of you are thinking, I would never get out of bed. Or wouldn't dress until this special urging from God to wear this or that or the other thing. Or never eat until... No, no, it isn't that. It's, 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 now God may lead in, 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 in miraculous, supernatural ways. If you've had it once or twice in your life, that's, that's a lot. But he speaks to you in ways you go, I know that's the voice of God, like that. But, but he speaks to us by his word. He speaks to us by way of his covenant. The scriptures, of course. By his covenant, the way I deal with you. He, he lays it out, so by word and spirit. But the point here is, that if you fear him, and you come to him, dependent upon him, and you ask him, show me your ways, as a repentant sinner, trusting him, then you can 
can bank on the fact that he will by his word he'll make known to you his ways by his covenant through his word many people read the bible no they don't get it but but somehow God by way of his spirit enables his people to see it and to believe it and to know it and that's the intimacy of it you see you remember Moses was called a friend of God and God revealed his covenant Abraham was known as a friend of God and God revealed his covenant in fact there's a wonderful story in, in uh, where Genesis chapter 18 where God's going to destroy Sodom and, 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 and God says oh I need to tell Abraham <laughs> why because he's, he's my friend and, 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 and you might remember right after that Abraham begins to ask God well, how could you do this God tell me about this and God does tell him about this and said don't worry Abraham I'm being just and righteous here if there were ten righteous people I wouldn't do it Abraham was okay. I, I knew that. Thanks. But you're like, well, how intimate is that? You marvel at that passage. So it isn't just being able to take a multiple choice test and passing it about the covenant. It's knowing it. It's believing it. Says this. This fills my soul. Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? He was with his disciples, and he says, "I no longer call you servants. I call you friends." Now we're still servants. Paul referred to himself as a bondservant of Christ, and we get that context. But Jesus was saying, you're my friends, why? Because I'm going to tell you what my Father has for me to do. And I'm going to tell you in a way that you'll know it and see it. And how does he really tell them? He tells them by way of the cross. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, the designs of love which the Lord has to His people in the covenant of grace has been pleased to show to believers in the book of inspiration, that's just the Bible, and by His Spirit. He leads us into mystery, even the hidden mystery of redemption. Now when He talks about the hidden mystery of redemption, He doesn't mean that God's hiding it in that sense, but He means that this is only something that God could have thought of, only something that could come from God. In fact, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, the gospel is called... Uh, folly into unbelievers but to those who are being saved it's the wisdom and power of God so that's what he means by mystery now listen to this he says he he who does not the meaning of this verse he does not know the meaning of this verse will never learn it from a commentary by the way he's writing and selling commentaries at this point he says, you'll never know this from a commentary. But rather, let him look only to the cross. Because the secret lies there. That's it, isn't it? How do you know that God will hear your prayers? Because Jesus died. So that your sins would be forgiven. And he rose that you might have life in him that's his covenant and so David's saying show me this and we're saying Jesus we're saying Lord show us the cross show us its meaning let us rest in there let us find our safety there our refuge there in the cross convince us give us great assurance this is really true and when we see it 
when we see it we look back and we said oh yes God has befriended me God has revealed to me God has spoken to me you see if there's a word that I've heard for the last few months it's the word unprecedented Everybody's saying this is what we're going through is unprecedented with the COVID, with even the social unrest that we're experiencing and all that. It's unprecedented. Now, I don't know. That may be an overstatement because I've only lived, you know, just a short amount of time. In my life, it seems like it, but, but I can look back a ways and see when the country's been in difficulty before. I don't know if this is worse, this is better. I don't know. It's not my evaluation to make. But I do know what I ought to be praying. And I do believe that God will hear my prayers. And I do know what we ought to be praying. And I do believe that God will hear our prayers. And we're to be praying, God, show us your way. And He'll point us to the cross. He'll point us to Jesus. You see, that's the way. You have it. This is the gospel of Jesus point people to it reveal it with your lips and your lives pray that my spirit will be active in people's lives that is what we ought to be praying let's pray together uh, our dear father give you thanks for the scripture it's a lamp yes to our feet a light to our path it's no idle word it's 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 our lives it reveres and revives the soul through it you lead us in the paths of righteousness it's profitable for teaching us your way for leading us for correcting us for training us in righteousness for equipping us for every good work indeed it makes known to us your covenant so to you we lift up our souls trust in you Father as the psalmist was aware of his enemies we too are aware that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but ultimately against powers and principalities the evil one we pray that you would work in each of us and in our church that you would not put us to shame but rather that you would glorify yourself through us that you would show that the trust in you the way of life and that you are good so we pray that you would show us your ways teach us your paths lead us in your truth may we be immersed in your word and led by your spirit be merciful to us remember your steadfast love that we may know your goodness forgive us our sins enable us to wait upon you May we not live in fear but faith. May we follow your path of steadfast love and faithfulness. May we not be bitter or angry or wrathful, but we may bear with each other. That we may love one another. That we may be patient with one another. That we may be kind to one another. That we may speak in such a way that brings grace. 
over those who were in authority over us, ordained in various offices throughout the land. We pray because these are difficult days. Much is at stake. It seems health, economy, safety, sanctity of life, and more. Father, for our church, for the church, we pray it would be with those who lead, our elders in our case particularly, our congregation may be led well and cared well. And each of us, God, again, that we would be patient, that we be kind, that we forgive, and we would love with all gentleness and kindness. God, enable us to draw near to you, that we may know your will and your ways. May we really know your covenants. May we really know your love. Guard our souls. We take refuge in you. For you are our King and our Redeemer. And this we pray in Jesus' name.